Alright, this is the Yay on Red Clay. And this is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. <laughs> we have a fantastic guest, I think our last guest for 2018, and a fantastic guest, Priya Gunjin. Is that right? Gaia Dean. Gaia I screw up his last name. It's okay. Everybody's always great. It's great always here. I can do it. Yeah, yeah. Rhea Gaia Dean, and you were our velvet for Foreman in Paris, and uh, you you did a fantastic job. Thank you. And uh, you, I think you'll be performing for, Flatos is doing a uh, New Year's Day. a holiday, the New Year's Day. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So yes. that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it'll be great to, uh, no, to see you. I see emails almost every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yes, I know. <laughs> hey, she's doing she's doing her thing, and she did a fantastic job promoting our show. Sold out, so so I, I cannot, um, you know, all praises to Corinne. Um, how was your week? Quiet. I might as well wish you a merry Christmas because you know I won't see you again until after for Christmas, right? <laughs> And then we do get a year, our, our wrap-up, our year That's end right. wrap-up, which and will be And Derek will be um, helping us with that. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, no, it's, you know, it, I had, like, I, and I'm sure I've said it before, Mara and I will sit down at the beginning of each week and calendar. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Because our jobs are all over the place, and who knows? Yeah. For me, there was, like, nothing. I think I had three appointments all week. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a lot Priya, of do you want to, I'm sorry, Priya. Do you want anything to drink? No, I'm good. Thank okay. you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, but it was overcast for oh, much of the yeah, day. Oh, yeah, right. I couldn't even, like, and it rained, yeah. I thought I'd get out and I'd do some gardening. <coughs> yeah, I had to try to dodge around the rain. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I did have an audition, so that would be <laughs> something worth noting. Um, so I had a callback mm-hmm. and an audition. Um that was that was this week. So Monday, um, mm-hmm. I did playground. Okay. And and I think I mentioned it before when we were finished up last time because it was like this is going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. I had in little more than twenty four hours. I had um, what was Sunday? There was something Sunday, and then um, oh, I guess audition, mm-hmm. and then I got called back. Yeah, no, that wasn't Sunday. There was something else. Oh, reading. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Doing a workshop of a new musical to replay Cafe, their right musical on. cafe. Uh, we'll be doing the next leg of that yeah. in August, August, January 6th. Mm-hmm. I think I hooked you up with that because oh, that's how you – well, I, I think – because you weren't involved in Play Cafe before they brought in four men, right? Um, Did you know them beforehand? Yeah. No, I didn't, no I've known Play Cafe for a long time. Okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, no, cool. No, but um, um, but I hadn't done anything in Musical Cafe, and so that was weird because it was a full musical, mm-hmm. um, the first read of a full musical, and uh, the three creators, yeah. um, writer-composers, because all three of them are musicians. Mm-hmm. One guy flew in from Nashville. Wow. He had performed in Nashville the night before mm-hmm. and flew in. I was like, this is serious. <laughs> <laughs> but we read, and that was fun and mm-hmm. you know, interesting. But my brain was on... I am directing a piece for Playground. I have to get it up. And then I got the callback notice asking me if I could be there at 6.30. Mm-hmm. Playground does five. We go five to 6.20. Mm-hmm. Rehearsal. One rehearsal. Tech. Mm-hmm. And then open the doors yeah. and put it up in front of an audience. These are short one acts at Playground. And Playground's at Portrayal. Or just scenes. Yeah. 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 Well, no. they're at uh, For this, the Monday night series is at Berkeley Rep. Got it. So okay. we're on the Berkeley Rep stage. I, I spent much time on the Berkeley Rep stage. Cool. <laughs> Not the way I thought I mm-hmm. would. But, um, but I had to tech my show and then run out, drive to Marin for a callback. Mm-hmm. 
do the callback, and then drive back. Wow. Um, and he was like, oh, okay, this is just a lot. Yeah. So I it's, guess it's the rest t- of my it's week a typical was Norman G. I mean, you know, you're always hustling, always, you know. Man, it was just weird. Mm-hmm. It was just weird and wild. Um, and then the, I just auditioned a couple of days ago for um, Credit Fire. Okay. They've got you a show Paige Rogers, Rogers, right? Mm-hmm. Is Paige Rogers? No, no, that's a cutting ball. Oh, dog. Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, no, Cry Fire, um, Nina, oh gosh, I should know her name, mm-hmm. Nina Morita. Yeah. Um, and I've been trying for three years to get into their generals, and just timing-wise, it always, it's like, wow, this is actually one of the few days I'm going to make money in this week, so no, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not giving up a job to go to an audition, but, you know, I've still got to navigate that, Mm -hmm. which is why I thought it was worth bringing up. Yeah. Um, Because it's a tricky thing to figure out. So I tried to go do a walk-in, and then um, as I'm standing there waiting to see if they're going to let me in, I see that she has sent me an email that I missed in transit Mm -hmm. saying, oh, you can come in tomorrow morning. (laughs) Oh, no. So I went home, and I came back the next morning. You can't, you know, I don't know about you, but emailing me for something that's immediate, I mean, you got to text me. Right, you know, just the more immediate. Right, it really was. It was, um, it was like about an hour mm-hmm. before I got there. So I was on my way to BART or on BART. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I got this email, I'm yeah. like, okay, thanks. Well, and I have to say thank you, though. I have to sure, say. Sure, sure. And I've been working on mantras, and I might have mentioned mm-hmm. I was given one. I, I do a little counseling work, and I was given um, the mantra of, I am proud I think I said it, and she said, repeat that, mm-hmm. and repeat it to yourself every day. I am proud that I make my living in the arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess that did come out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's always just such mm-hmm. a hustle, and it's yeah. always such a scramble. Mm-hmm. And I've learned in the last three years to train myself when I go into an audition to go, I'm going to remember that I really want to be here. I really want this job. Mm-hmm. I really want to work with these people. Nothing would make me more excited than to get this yeah. and to bring that energy in rather than they come on, I've known y'all for like, what, 20 I know, years? I know, I know, I know. And when was yeah. the last time y'all hired me? Yeah. And what's up with that? that? That's an interesting subject, you know, getting your emotions up because, you know, uh, it's, no matter, when I walk into an audition, mm-hmm. I, who knows, I may have had a bad experience at BART, I may have had a bad experience at my day job, right. I may be working with a partner who's like, oh my God, I hate that mm-hmm. son of a, whatever it right. is, but... I've got to, you know, the character needs something, and psyching yourself out psychologically. I'm, I'm curious right. as to how people do that. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, so, and I did learn something from four men mm-hmm. um, and you guys, because I don't like to do auditions that way. We did it where it was all in one room. Yeah. I don't like to do auditions that way. I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on both the people before sure. auditioning and the people waiting. Yeah. Um, but the smart actors listened. So I remembered this when I went to my callback because I walked in and sure enough, there were all these people. And there was a little side room, but you could totally hear everything. And at first I was like, let me get away from that. Let me get my process. I'm getting centered. I'm ready. My pieces. I feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. I get through all that and I'm like, they're still working. Wait a minute. Duh. That thing I remember from four men. Because that's totally how Kim got the role. Mm-hmm. Was she listened to every note that I gave to everybody else. Oh, and that's tried. right. Mm-hmm. Capitalize on other people's mistakes. Not mistakes, well, but well other what is it the director wants? Right. And what is it that <clears throat> every script has easy choices that are wrong choices? Sure. Every script has that. Mm-hmm. Um, when the director tells you, so don't go there, take that someplace else, even if you don't agree, 
Sure. For an audition, mm -hmm. just try and take it someplace else. At the very least, you show them that you've got some flexibility. Yeah. And that you're listening. Mm -hmm. And those are, you know, I'll always hire somebody for that rather than the, and we've had a number of conversations about this where the perfect person for the part, oh, that's the, they walk in, you go, that's the perfect person. That's the image I have in my head of what this part is. And then they get up there, and they're not a particularly skilled actor. And it's like, I would rather have the more skilled actor who doesn't look like what I had in my head, mm -hmm. but who has some flexibility, than to have that person who can do nothing but that. Exactly. And we've seen, I'm sure as a director, you've seen folks who know how to audition. They have their perfect monologue, and they have their skit, you know, their, their th stuff that they do. And then you get them into the rehearsal process, like, oh, my God. Well, fortunately, I'm... So I like yeah. the callbacks to actually, I want to see what you do. I want to see what you do with the same partner. I want to yeah. see how you work with the material. I'll mm -hmm. try to give you a couple of things. Yeah. If you come in and all you can show me is that one note, I recognize that. I'm like, okay. And I've so many times been at the table with people going, that person's perfect. That woman's perfect. That guy is perfect. And I'm mm -hmm. like, and I've told the story before. We did a show where one of the characters was an old janitor. And we couldn't find anybody. We ended up having like three or four rounds of auditions trying to cast this role. We finally get this old guy to come in, and he's just quirky and weird. And he's immediately, producers say, oh, my God, he is the, he is the character. And I'm like, right, he is the character who is a quirky, weird, old guy. <laughs> we don't want that. I don't want that in my rehearsal mm -hmm. process. I don't want that on my stage. Yeah. And what ended up happening, we couldn't find anybody else. We hired him. He mm -hmm. was horrible, and he couldn't remember his lines. Mm -hmm. So I've, I'm sure I've told the story before. Mm -hmm. There were two scenes. Uh, it's a love triangle. The main story is a love triangle. So this woman is kind of wanting to be with this other guy. And so she goes to see him at his job at the gallery, and he's not there, but the janitor is there. Oh, you just missed him. Um, so he would do a scene with the janitor, and he would kind of, in his scene, kind of admit that he was kind of interested in this young woman. Then he would leave. She'd come in. Oh, you just missed him. Then they have a scene together. Well... He exits, and he gets off stage, and he tells her, oh, my God, he's in rare form tonight. You know, because he was all over the map and just making up stuff. And he's such a seasoned actor, though, that he doesn't sit there and go, ooh, I messed up. He goes, oh, and he looks at you immediately and comes up with something. And then you go, oh, oh um, uh. So their friends would come to see the show and say what an amazing actor he was. <laughs> but while they were, you guys were having problems in the scene today. <laughs> so she walks on with this knowledge, and they get through the scene, and all of a sudden he jumps page and a half. Well, yeah. And she figures out where they are, figures out how to catch and feed that information back in, gets them back on track, and they go through the rest of the scene until he hits that same line that he had jumped to. And she sees in his eyes that he starts to think, oh, wait a minute, what happened? She yells her next line at him. He stutters and, you know, he startles and responds with the line. And it's like a line or two before her exit. She says her exit line and gets off stage. <laughs> oh, that's what I want to avoid. But people like that know. You want a good actor. You don't want. I don't want you walking down the street being a serial murderer. I want you to play a serial murderer on stage. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but we did a production. And the guy, he was an older actor who was sort of, I don't know, stereotypical. He had his, he had his uh, what do you call him, um, his shtick. Right. Which, right. which got him in. Right. And he quit on the show. We had to scramble to find someone else, and it was a major production. I don't want to mention the production because people know who he is. And he actually, um, he uh, 
so basically, he, he auditioned for four men, right? Oh, and didn't okay. get in. Okay. Um, so, oh right, yeah, yes, yeah. you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you you find out, and hopefully the the director doesn't find out the hard way. Right. Usually, you want to find out. I had a friend of mine. His name was Raymond Ray, and this is like years ago. And I did a show. It's one of the first time I was on stage. Several years later, he asked me, hey, you acted with this actor. You know, um, he's about to audition for something. What do you think about him? And I was like, mm, you yeah. know, I don't want to say anything bad, but probably right. not. Your reputation will follow you. Oh, yeah. You may not even walk on the stage, and all of a sudden, someone has something on you. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very, very careful. Be good. And that means in that moment when you go to audition, yeah. you have to put all of that down. Yeah. And just figure out what it is you need to do and yeah. be in this moment. Right. Because because you've been, you've been silent. I'm sure you have a lot of Oh, yeah. No, I've, had these, I've had these experiences um, a lot. And I think, um, you know, acting is um, is more about being able to take direction than, than, mm-hmm. than being, you know, than getting up there and, and trying to uh, show off a particular skill or, or, or talent. I think um, what I've learned from, you know, uh, doing this for a while is that directors like people who can take direction, can right? Because, you know, they've got a vision in their head about what they want to see, mm-hmm. and you have a vision in your head of what you think the character should right. be doing or saying or, 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 or acting, and, and you, and you want to find that balance. But, um, you know, sometimes I think as an actor, if you just put your trust in the director, you're going to bring out what... Um, what the character should be, independent mm-hmm. of what those two visions are, and I think yeah. you know, for Velvet, it, w- it, it was it was like that, you know, um, you know, because it was somebody who didn't uh, exist mm-hmm. in that in right. that story, right? right? We had to we had to create this character, and I think uh, Norma was good at trying to tell me what what you wanted for the for the um, for the character, and, and I had some ideas, and mm-hmm. you know, I just had to put my trust in what he wanted and listen to his direction to sort of bring it out to the to the audience, and, and it was well-received from what, you know, the comments that I heard after yeah. after the show, but um, yeah, you know, we've, um, I, like I said, I did a lot of work in Brazil and film and theater there, and we worked with some um, Brazilian actors um, who, you know, the shows we were putting on were in English, mm-hmm. so oh, these right. were native Portuguese speakers, and mm-hmm. in, you know, in Brazilian theater and film, they were well-known, and, mm-hmm. you know, they could really bring their talent to the scene because, right. you know, uh, the language was so much part of the culture and part mm-hmm. of that, but you know, when it came to doing it um, in English, it was very challenging. We had two actors that were very well known in the Brazilian um, theater community, and um, the scenes that we would have to do with them, they would take forever. We'd have to do them over and over, oh, over and just so they could get their lines down mm-hmm. and understand the blocking and understand, you know, the delivery because it was in a different uh, medium, so right. to speak, right? Right, so, well, yeah. very much. And yeah. that's, it's just part of the process. I mm-hmm. mean, that's when we talked about setting up the show and, and what the rehearsal schedule is going to be, I know that I can get to a certain point. We can understand what the story is. We can figure out what we can and cannot do on stage. And then beyond that, it really becomes more of a troubleshooting what needs more time and attention, right. and what can I say? You know, that's in good shape, and like a, you know, like a, a loaf of bread that hasn't gone in the oven yet. I'm just going to shape that and yeah. let it rise. Right. And also tell the writer, hey, this needs to be changed because this doesn't quite make sense and all that stuff. So working with a young budding writer at the same time. Oh, working yeah. with a writer yeah. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, definitely uh, talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about current events. A lot of things have been going on. I'll talk on the obvious political stuff, but there are also some non-political news stuff. 
So this tickled my interest. So uh, earlier this week, Offset, do you know who Offset and Cardi B are? <laughs> I just, I know the name Cardi B. That's no. it. Yeah, oh, right, old, I did see. Old, we're an older generation. Right. Cardi B is this young rapper who's sort of blown up, and she married this another young rapper, Offset. Mm-hmm. And she had a baby, and I guess it was on the Twitterverse that Offset cheated on Cardi B. Right. So in any case, she had performed last week, I think it was on Sunday, on mm-hmm. stage. Right. Offset crashed her thing. Right, he did. I saw that. (laughs) It was like, baby, you know, take me back and whatever, and I love you and all that sort of stuff. And half the audience was like, oh, that's so sweet. The other half the women were like, no, this is predatory behavior. You can't do that. At the same time, um, Ariana Grande, you know who she is. Mm -hmm. So she was in a relationship with a dude named Pete Davidson. Saturday night. Yeah. And then they broke up. And and he talked about committing suicide or was like, I'm I'm off, I'm done. He apparently tweeted something. Yeah. And so, like they said, cops. They said cops. That's exactly. They didn't go over and check on him. Oh, my gosh. And the theme is, of course, tis the season. I'm not (laughs) going to get to that. (laughs) (laughs) But men that can't get over, I mean, like, Predatory behavior. I mean, we've been talking all about Harvey Weinstein all this right. year and Bill Cosby and the Me Too movement. And I'm glad you're here, Priya, to get your view on this. Do men just not get it? I mean, you know. Of course they don't. The incel. I mean, we've we got whole new words to describe sure. how sure. men don't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about, I guess, the whole Me Too movement and this and men who are like, I'm going to die if, you, if, you know, if you're not with me. You know, right, it's me right, or nobody else. Right. Well, you haven't had to go through anything like that. No, thankfully I, I have not. I've been lucky to not have been in a situation like that. Sounds like you've chosen uh, well with men. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I just am not out there as much as I maybe should be. But uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's all about power and control, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think these men, uh, you know, especially if they're in a position of power, um, like to, um, you know, exert that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, they feel like, um, you know, I, I am who I am. I'm Harvey Weinstein. I'm so-and-so. And, you know, you're lucky to be with me. And, uh, you know, if you're with me, I can make this happen for you and that happen for sure. you. And this is the price that you pay. And if you don't want to do that, then, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take advantage of you, right? Yeah. And I think that there is, a, um, unfortunately, still between the sexes, some, you know, um, I think in some situations, particularly, again, with men who, who have a lot of power, they think that, you know, women, women don't. Right. And, you know, they're not going to retaliate. They're not going to react. They're not going – they're just going to lay down and accept it, you know, yeah. so to speak. And, you know, when I, when I think about your son, Jayden, mm-hmm. we've been talking about what women teach men because, really, we're talking about whether it be Bill Cosby, whether it be um, – um, I'm trying to think of the news reporter. He had been on the news for a long time. But uh, he got out at Peter Jennings. Hopefully, it's not Peter Jennings. No, no, not Peter Jennings. <laughs> um, um, oh, jeez. There are two of them. In my head. Yeah, yeah. He's one of these. But but there are tons of individuals from all sorts of spectrums. Well, Charlie Rose is one. Right. That's who I was thinking about. Right. But these are. I don't know what these children are taught. I mean, Jaden's not of that age yet. Yeah, yeah. But have you thought about how you oh, teach yeah. him? Yeah, it's a struggle because you know. I am raising a boy to be a man, and, yeah. you know, I'm a woman. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I know what I was taught, and I know how to act as a woman, but, you know, it's always a, it's always a challenge, you know, how do I teach this human being to be, you know, um, a respectful, kind, um, generous, you know, good-hearted, uh, well-rounded man who, yeah. you know, 
wants to understand that the other sex is a different species and you know, to respect that and know the boundaries, you know, and how, how do you do that? And, um, yeah, I haven't figured it out yet, but it's, um, I think it's a process and hopefully, um, you know, him and I will, as we go on this journey of, of mother and child that we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. He's but, four. Uh, he's four. He just turned four in yeah. October. Happy birthday to him. But you have time. Yeah. There, yeah. But, you know, there's still, he is a little, you know, he's very flirtatious with the girls in his preschool. And, you know, he's, he wants to always go in for the hug. He wants to always go in for the kiss. And at this age, you think it's cute. And, right. you know, the other parents don't mind too much. But um, at some point, you know, I'm going to have to explain to him that, you know, there is there is personal space. Right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly in the culture that we How live in. He? He's four now. Oh, yeah. Know? yeah. No, so. He's almost at that point. Right. Yeah. yeah. When I was in college, one semester, I don't even know why. Oh, I do know why. Um, I took, uh, in PE, there was a class for, um, at San Francisco State, there is a teacher track. Oh, okay. So in a lot of the subjects, there are things about what it is you need to know in terms of development mm-hmm. and what stages. Mm-hmm. And so there was one for PE. And that the, around that age is when you start talking about personal space. Yeah. There. And one of the games that they came up with was all, a bunch of games all centered around uh, hula hoops. Okay. So you put the hula hoops on the ground, mm-hmm. and then you're inside and you're outside, and then you get in oh, with somebody else. Yeah. And Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. And just simple little games, but it helps to right. create a very visceral awareness. Right, right. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're starting to, you know, talk about that, like asking permission and, and uh, you know, you can't just run up and hug somebody. <laughs> you know, and it's, um, it is challenging because, uh, you know, I grew up in a culture and I'm, I'm part of a culture where there is no such thing as really personal space and those types oh. of things aren't really where? being offensive. You know, I mean, it's... it's well, a, I, 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 you hear about Brazil and... Brazil and... Yeah. and yeah. I'm, no, I'm I'm from the Caribbean. Right? I was born in Guyana, South okay. America. So, you know, Caribbean culture, same thing. We're right. very yeah, warm, yeah. open, affectionate. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of hugging and touching in my family and stuff. And um, when we, he was born in Brazil, so, you know, for the first five months of his life, it uh, was the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the neighbors would come by and they'd pick him up and play with him. I could leave him with my maid and there was uh-huh. no, no issues around that. Or he'd be walking down the street with him and people would come up and talk to him, pick him up and touch right. him and play with him and stuff. And, and it's totally very normal, right? right. But here in our, in right. this that culture, doesn't it doesn't happen here. <laughs> you know, so, um, so there's a, probably a little bit of deprogramming I have to do there to get him to understand yeah, that. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, and we're in a greater culture, and, and it's a little different than what it's like at home. And, sure. You know. mm-hmm. I remember growing up in D.C., my parents separated when I was seven years old, so I lived with mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the thing that I, I recognize, I, I, and I think children sort of absorb their parents, you know, yeah, what they're going through, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think just instinctively... I was sort of raised one way or another to sort of, you know, like don't 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 put so much pressure on mom to respect her and to not, you know, uh, my mom had had a sort of a tumultuous relationship, but I think my relationship with women, as far as just being respectful, connects to how I respected mom to want to, you know make her life better or to try to please her mm-hmm. and to, you know, to earn her respect. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that, you know, if young boys sort of remember that, because there yeah. are a lot of guys, you hear about it all the time, especially in the black community, where you have the mama's boy, mm-hmm. where, let's say, a divorced mother 
will treat their son like a king because they've already had their man go. They don't want to alienate yeah. the, the son. And all of a sudden, the son's like, well, mom's not going to beat me. So what the hell? Right. I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want to do. Right. Yeah. How is the secret of sons? Dexter, how is he doing these days? He's fine. He's, he's going to his dad's in New Mexico. He's going to New Mexico tomorrow. Okay. Um, but he's also, it's interesting, he's almost 17. Okay. And um, doing fairly well. Mm-hmm. In his, we'll see, actually, this was finals week. Oh. And so he got a whole new lesson in life, <laughs> which is you can't stay up all night <laughs> like you normally do and then get up and expect to perform well. No. You know, yeah. it just isn't going to happen. You right. might get away with it a day or so, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that yeah, second, yeah. third day, it's going to take a toll. Mm-hmm. So it's so funny because he got home yesterday. I'm going to a party, uh, you know, a bunch of friends. Blah, blah, blah. Mara said, cool, cool, no problem. Went in his room. Boom, face planted. She said something. She was getting ready for her evening. She said, well, so I'm going to be going. She had a gig. Um, so you're going to go to this party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as she got dressed and got ready to go, actually, he was getting ready to walk out the door. She said, so are you going to this party? He's like, no. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I was still home, so he was up, up and completely conscious about an hour or so later. Wow. And that's where he's at. So the cool thing that's happening right now is he wants his room to be painted. Um, there had been some water damage a couple of years ago to the ceiling, and we got that repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was a fairly sizable chunk. Mm-hmm. So the guy just, like, cleaned it and then plastered it because mm-hmm. it's plaster and then had to come back. You know, it's sort of like a patch the hole and now come back and match right, everything. Right, right. So that's been above his head for <laughs> two years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what's that's done? And it's done. Mm-hmm. want to paint. <laughs> he said, okay, well, you're going to paint. We're going to paint, but you're going to have to participate in right, it. So right. when I go home today, that's going to be the big thing. Is oh, that, and I'm like, today, huh? that is y'all. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he's flying tomorrow. So yeah. it's like, okay. And she was saying, get it done. If we get it all done now, then we can leave the window open, right, yeah. let it air out, and mm-hmm. by the time you get back, you can come back in. Now, he'll, he'll have to clear all of the stuff out, or is he just going to cover it all up? Well, so the plan at this point, who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. they'll be discussing it within the hour, hopefully. Sure. Um, the plan was to just move everything to one side of the room, work one side Got of the it. room, and then right. move everything. Mm-hmm. But there's a shelf. Uh, tall shelf that they had braced to the wall, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's funny I never looked at it, but they strapped it to the wall, so they actually anchored it and then put straps on it. Right. So they've got to dismantle all that and pull all mm-hmm. that away so mm-hmm. that they can paint the right. wall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that'll be interesting. It'll be it'll be <laughs> exciting to see. But I'm like, this is so. This is not me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited. He yeah. wanted it, and he's going to work to get it, and he's going to learn. That's yeah, how you that's learn. great. That's, yeah, that's right. That's what you have to do. I saw something in the news earlier this week. An 11 year old wrote to Santa. It's one of those things where an 11 year old writes to Santa, gives it to their parents. Okay, I'll mail it to Santa Claus. Did you hear about this? So the letter says, Santa, please, the only thing I want for Christmas is affirmation that you are real. Oh, wow. Are you real? I want to believe that you're real. Please let me know because all my friends say that you're not real. Right. And the parent is, I think I wrote that this was on like CNN, but it was like a Dear Abby thing. And sure. the parents are like, what do I tell my children? Right. I have feelings about this, but oh. what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I struggle with that, too, because, you know, um, 
it's really hard. I mean, I remember the moment that I realized Santa Claus wasn't real. Oh, you know? And it was really traumatic, really. Is it yeah, right? because, wow. you know, yeah. even though we are not Christian, my parents did allow us to grow up and um, sort of participate in, in experience sort of these, you know, pop culture sure. um, uh, holidays, I'll call them, you know. Yeah. So, you know, we did do Easter egg hunts and we did, we celebrated Christmas. We have a Christmas tree and all those kind of things and Halloween. presents and Halloween, uh, the whole nine yards, okay. right? Um, and they fed into all of that stuff. And, you know, while we were growing up, we had the whole Santa Claus thing. Santa mm-hmm. Claus is going to put the presents under the tree. Right. Dad would eat the cookie and drink the milk every year. Uh-huh. And, you know, and it was always leverage over us. You know, if you're right. not good, Santa Claus is not bringing you presents and stuff like that. And I'm doing the same thing with my son, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, he's four, so and he does believe in Santa Claus. And, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm having this anticipatory grief about, you know, the moment when I have to explain to him or when he's going to find out it isn't real. And, um, you know, I don't really know how you how you can deal with that because, in the, you know, there's so much of it in the media that they see. You can't get away from you it. Can't, you well, can't. You can somewhat. I mean, that's my situation. I've avoided Christmas for years and years mm-hmm. and years. Not participating in what I wanted to, but avoided the rest of it. Yeah. Now I'm married. I'm curious to as to what, how you dealt with it as a kid. I mean, did you have to deal with it as a kid? Well, like you said, traumatic. I remember um, we had, it, it became for a few seasons a little detective game. <laughs> and one year we knew that they had gone shopping right. and we started to run out to the car. And my mom yelled at us to stop, but we knew she was, was she going to out herself? She said, God damn it. Mm-hmm. She said, God damn it. Just go out there. Don't look in those bags. Or I'm going to take it all back to the store. Pick those bags up and bring them in the house. And we had to unload the car and bring it all in. Mm-hmm. Even then, it still wasn't quite like, it was right. a, It was still a season or two after that where it finally hit. And it yeah. was horrible. No, it was we knew that we were going to get all this stuff and stuff we'd asked for, yeah. but we also knew that it was just them, and that's right. all it was. Right. But I don't know what CNN's answer was. The answer I've loved the best is this. When the child confronts you about it, um, and I've seen t- different variations on this, but the, so I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is that Santa Claus does exist, and that wonderful energy and that joy and that sense of sharing and all that stuff, that's real. But we have to help, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't know or, you know, I can tell you that there isn't a person who lives at the North Pole. Um, but obviously you're old enough to be aware of this now. Right. So you're going to be on our team and you're going to be a part of what makes it happen. And you can't tell anybody else <laughs> because that's part of it. Because right. if they're at that age where they're asking the questions and they're at that age where they understand secrets. Yeah. So that's yeah. what we're going to do. And I've read variations on it that have been just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. okay. But what I think it's, yeah. I think it's, you know, it's part of, I think it's a part of life, right? Because in life, we do sometimes keep secrets. We right. do sort of twist the truth a little bit for whatever reason. that's the lesson. And, and this is part of life. I mean, I've, I've tried to be really real with my son and, and you know, um, let him know that sometimes there are disappointments in life. Sometimes you're going to find things out that are different than what you thought, and sometimes you're going to get hurt. But that's that's part of the yeah. journey. And so the earlier they learn it, the better. The earlier they learn it and they can take it, the better. Um, I know for me, you know, it's difficult because I came, you know, all, all of our family went to church. You know, right. we grew up in a traditional Baptist thing. 
and there's a tricky thing. How can you talk about Santa Claus and devalidate the birth of Jesus Christ? Right. And plus, I was too smart of a kid. I mean, I grew up as an only child, and we had a sort of a, a actually big house. I mean, I was very lucky. And I would snoop around. I knew, you know, that, right. like, you know, I'm right. like looking in the closets, looking up the right. uh, attic right. or whatever, and I'm like, okay, I see the gifts. Okay, now I've got to pretend. That's probably my first acting oh, game. Wow. <laughs> wow, I got that. But yeah. I, I knew. And it's, I don't think it was such a traumatic thing. I don't think the Santa Claus was never hyped up as much uh, in my household or whatever, because how can you? And I think at 11 years old, if he's uh, old enough to question it, I think he's old enough to learn what the real answer is and not be too pissed off. I love it, yeah. Well, I mean, we're reminding, the word traumatic just triggers me for some reason. Oh, yeah. No, I remember when we did actually find out Mm -hmm. um, they had kept all the gifts in the car. And somebody broke into oh, no. school oh, the kids. No. So oh, no. they had to tell us right away. They told us, we may not be having Christmas this year. Oh. I was like, say what? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> somebody robbed Santa Claus? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we did end up, you know, one of those, like, Toys for Tots or something like that. We yeah. ended up getting, oh. uh, it was a very fun wow. Christmas wow. because yeah. we had already, but, yeah, suddenly yeah. the truth of Santa Claus, it was like that yeah. band-aid that got ripped off too soon. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I remember mine. I said, you know, I want to stay up because they keep saying Santa Claus comes at midnight, and I'm right. going to stay up to see this guy. <laughs> right, right. You know? and yeah. So my parents put us to bed, and I came downstairs, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And it was like by past midnight, 20 past midnight, and there was no Santa Claus. And right. that's when it hit me. That mm. This isn't real, and oh. it was. I was so, oh so sad. I was like so disappointed. I went to bed and I cried, and I was mm. like, oh, "There's no Santa Claus." <laughs> but you still got gifts. We still got. But then that's when it all became real for me. That oh, it's my parents that do this, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, the last thing before we jump into an origin story with Priya. Well, I hope you're going to mess stupid. That is the shutdown. Well, so there's the shutdown, which happened. But, you know, the Mattis thing is interesting because on Thursday, so on Thursday, Trump announces, guess what? We're pulling out of Syria. Isn't that wonderful? Which it's wonderful for ISIS because it just means that we quit. You know, we just pull the plug. I mean, some people, some people are like, hey, we should have been there. Turkey's happy. Yeah. And Mattis almost immediately was like, hey, I'm out, defense secretary. Right. How, I, I, I don't even have any fingers on my hands as to right. how many people have quit the Trump administration. Right, you can. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can. It's, it's, it's been crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, no, that And now the shutdown. Well, yeah. and so then you get people speaking out and going, this is not a good thing. Yeah. Republicans. Oh, yeah. Going, this is not a good thing. And also the shutdown, I mean, you have the – the House Senate, well, I'm sorry, the, the Senate trying to put the bills like, okay, okay, we'll give you the full five million, five billion. Five billion. And, yes. you know, let's just, we don't want to shut down. Because right. Mitch McConnell, he does not want to shut down. No, he doesn't. And Trump was like, hell with it, I'm not doing it at, at all. So, well, no, so what happened is the House passed it. House passed, they yeah. went back and they passed that because the Senate had already left. Oh, they had right. voted on the package with the $1.5 billion, Right. And they left town, some of them. Mm-hmm. There's a guy who apparently got off of a plane, took pictures of palm trees, and got back on a plane to fly back to vote. Oh, um, my gosh. So they did put together a, fi- a package with the $5 billion, yeah. but they don't have 60 votes. Mm-hmm. And without the Democrats, they cannot get 60 votes. So Trump tweets, mm-hmm. do the nuclear option. And McConnell's like, we're not going to do the nuclear option. Yeah, and also the Supreme Court. This deals with the uh, the border. Yeah, they basically said the asylum. Yeah, the, the asylum, asylum ban. Uh, they they invalidated rules. the asylum ban. Well, they're 
what before the Supreme Court was specifically, mm-hmm. um, it's in court. Yes. It has to go through that process before it goes to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to say, while it's going on, can we keep it in place? And, and Roberts said no. said no. Exactly. Roberts sided with, with the liberals. So-called liberals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think so what's so interesting about this Trump administration is that it has, it has really – put the entire American judicial system at work. I have mm-hmm. never seen or heard of so many times that things have had to go to the Supreme Court, right. that things have had to go yeah. to, courts, yeah. to courts, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, I think it really shows, um, you know, the strength and maybe the weaknesses of, mm-hmm. of, of the American judicial system. But, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the next person who's going to step into that role um, we'll see that, you know, where the gaps are. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like I compare it to Brazil a little bit because mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's oh, a system, it's a yeah. political system that really needs to be looked at again. Right. Is Brazil a democracy? Hmm? It's a democracy. It's a young democracy. A similar person, right? Yes. And the hope is, is that this person is going to revamp their political system, right? Because it's so corrupt. Right. Um, and and that's what I think that that uh, the American uh, judicial system needs to go through, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of revamping that needs to happen, and and um, right. nobody's really looked at that. Nobody's really paid attention to that. You know, I watched they a series it and worked around. Yeah, what yeah, done. yeah. I was watching a series on Netflix about um, about single single fathers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, there was this one couple. They were dating. The girl got pregnant, um, and then they didn't get married. She mm-hmm. didn't put him on the birth certificate, but you know they, oh. they had mm-hmm. they had just verbally worked it out. This mm-hmm. is what is going to happen and stuff. And then I guess you know he wasn't given enough child support or whatever. But the thing is, even though he's not legally identified as the child's father, right. he still has to pay child support. That's, that's exactly right. Because that's how the law is written. I'm yeah. like, what? You know, and he only gets to see the kid. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, twice a month or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like once one weekend a month right. and one right. day during the week. And I'm right. like, yeah. but that's how the law is written. Nobody sat down and said, wait a minute, does this even make sense, right? Yeah. Because before well, it was like, you know, make the deadbeat father's pay, but, right. you know, well, parenting. That, they, you know, those laws also got established when women weren't working. Right. A lot of women weren't working, so... You had to say, well, in order for this child to be taken care of, dude, yeah. whatever dispute y'all are having, we'll work all that out. But in the meantime, you just keep paying. Right. I mean, but Barry, Greg, that's Barry crazy. Is, is, is that's right. Similarly, Barry Graves is rushing. He wants to get more custody of his kids, yeah. and he would have to move out to right. Modesto right. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I'm just like to this is this, this is this is crazy. I yeah. just lived through the opposite. My mm-hmm. brother. Um, they decided that one of their grandchildren, um, the, the mother, was basically homeless. She mm-hmm. was, like, staying with a boyfriend who didn't want the kids around. <sighs> so the kids were sort of left on their own. Oh. And my brother was just like, no. Yeah. So they went to court. Right. Well, with her, it was easy because they said, look, do you remember when you had this trouble with the law? And do you remember when this happened? And if we pull in these people, mm-hmm. family members and friends, mm-hmm. and they are under oath, all the stuff they're going to have to testify to, you really don't want that. And she realized that she should leave it alone. Well, the father they contacted, and because of the way the court system is set up, the courts gave him, he got a good six months. I mean, they went mm-hmm. to court like three or four times. Mm-hmm. And each time he would fail. 
Right. But he would say, no, but I am. The judge would say, so are you seriously interested in, in right. having your child? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am, Your Honor. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to give you two months to get this together. And my poor brother, they're just, they kept going back and going back. And it was finally, the guy just didn't show up. Wow, yeah. And they still gave him one more chance. Right. And he didn't show up. Yeah. And then they said, okay, you've already proved, you've right. established, you know, all kinds of good reasons for guardianship. And... And we gave him every chance he could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that seems to be where the system, it's horrible. Right. Where yeah. the system and that's a good example. There was another example in this series about a, um, a physician, very successful physician, mm-hmm. had an affair with a co-worker. You know, the wife found out. They decided to get a divorce. She took him to court and, you know, had to pay child support. And mm-hmm. he said, okay, well, you know, child support apparently is based on, you know, what is your potential for income, right, right? Right, So, of course, he was making a lot of money at that time, and he was having to pay an exorbitant amount of money in child support. Mm-hmm. But the um, the backlash of the divorce, you know, right. made his professional practice suffer. Right. Eventually, he lost his medical license. Mm-hmm. You know, now he drives around a truck promoting, they created this, this, this um, you know, fathers affected by divorce sort of thing. Okay. He drives around this bus, mm-hmm. this car to promote this group. Uh-huh. And makes, you know, next to nothing off of that. Right. But they're still saying that you need to pay X amount, amount in child right. support because yeah. that's your potential yeah. for earning, yeah. you know. And so it came to a point where he wasn't able to pay because he wasn't he didn't have any income. Yeah. Right. So he had to go to jail. So he went to jail mm-hmm. because he wasn't able to pay child support. Yeah. He's in so much debt now. Right. He's never going to be able to pay child support. Right. You know, right? I work for the DA's office, and although I don't work in that unit, mm-hmm. I work next to the unit, or at least mm-hmm. I used to. They, there's a thing called CARU, Child Abduction Recovery mm-hmm. Unit. And unfortunately, right. child abductions usually happen right. when people divorce or right. separate. And it, even internationally, like we had mm-hmm. a woman in China. Who, who lived in San Francisco, they had a baby, and they divorced. And instead of going to court, the woman just took the child and went to China. Right. And it took, you know, all of our investigators, and most of our investigators had to go to China to recover mm-hmm. the child and yeah. work with Interpol and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. But a lot of, uh, needless to say, judges don't want to see any of that in court. They right, want right, people right. to just work it out and arbitrate right. or whatever. Right. But it's such a he say, she say thing. And yeah. It's, it's incredible, it but it's the, a, you know, of Solomon. it's right. just insane. Yeah. It needs to be, I think it, it you know, it's a different time. Mm-hmm. People do right. work, right? right. And yeah. um, we have advanced, and, and I think it's something that needs to be looked at. Like many of the, the laws in this country yeah. Yeah. need to be looked at. And I think that that is one thing that the Trump administration has brought to light is, yeah. Is the way that our judicial system yeah. works? Right? It's it's interconnected, well, not just that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the way to play the media is right. because they yeah. have been very sloppy for a long time, right. and so right. he's been able to use that to his sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Advantage. What I was going to say before I ask you, what do you think of the overall of the Trump mm-hmm. administration? You know, the judicial, because I hear it from Clarence Thomas and some of these other folks who are like, hey, listen, the law may be bad, but it's the law, and we have to adhere to the right. ruling based on mm-hmm. what's written. And a lot of it is legislative. You know, you yeah. need to have congressmen, right. even local congressmen, right. to write appropriate laws okay. instead mm-hmm. of, you know, just adhering. Like, you hear about, what was it, Brock Turner, you know, this kid who oh, right. yeah. a while back he had raped a child. Oh, the, and the more recent one this week, the frat guy. That's right. And the judge dollars, four hundred dollars fine, and some months of Mm -hmm. uh, probation. Yeah, and you wonder where. So when you talk about troubles with the legis, I'm sorry, with the judicial system, I think about these 
small town or these local judges and these local legislatures who appease for whatever reason right. the local community. Right. Maybe the guy's a football god and right. whatever, and we don't right. want to touch him. Well, right. Or it's just established law. Yeah. This is the way it's always been. And yeah. one of the fun things right now is well, who is the guy that was getting in trouble? It was another one of these financial things um, where they were saying, oh, no, not that, London Breed. Yeah. Okay. Poor London Breed. So London Breed's brother's in jail. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, the letter. And he's right. asking for clem- she's asking right. for clemency. Right. Right. And people are saying, you're abusing your office. Right. She has been asking for clemency for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like she suddenly said, oh, I got some power now. Let me right. do this. Right. She's doing what she's already been doing. And why shouldn't she? Because yeah. that's what rich people have done the whole time the legal system yeah. has existed. Exactly. Hey, I got some money. Let me that's buy right. you a church. Let yeah. me give some money to this. Let me yeah. Yeah. support that thing you want. Yeah. Yeah. And bam, yeah. You're, yeah. you're free. And I'm not saying we should let it bend that way, but I'm saying that there is a legitimate mm-hmm. flexibility in the law. That's why there is clemency. Yes. To go, the system, for whatever reasons, community mm-hmm. mores or whatever, mm-hmm. isn't able to find a way to help this injustice. Right, right. I've got some power. I get to make that choice. Right, right. I don't yeah. expect Jerry Brown to do crap for her, but... And, and I'm not mad at him if he does it, but I'm not mm-hmm. mad at her. I don't feel like she abused. Right. I think she's going to find me. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's doing anything. They could be blowing if she didn't. Right. It's like, wow, your brother's in jail, and, you know, the family's t- stepping up for you, and you're not going to do that? Okay. Well, and to me, and I think I, I reposted something about it because I was like, so we all need to recognize, especially those of us who are going there, too many people in jail. We need to get people out of jail. Well, recognize, number one, what we're talking about is some pretty world where people don't just end up in jail over stupid crap or stuff they didn't even do. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about that world, and we're moving towards it, but we're not there. Where we are is a bunch of people have been locked up and hopefully have found some mechanisms to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to release those people back into the community. If we don't create some mechanisms, some new mechanisms to allow them, help them exactly. reintegrate right. into our society, programs, they're yeah. just going to bring all that bad survival behavior that mm-hmm. they've accumulated into our community. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So get them out. But recognize that mm-hmm. means, and I, I ran into it last, it was last week. I'm at the alley. Mm-hmm. I'm at my little spot. And a um, young black guy, not that young, but younger, mm-hmm. um, He's new to the place, and he's sniffing around, and, well, it happens. It's a weird little place with all kinds of weird little cutting you know the alley? stuff. No, I have not. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, a, bar, it's a bar. It's a piano bar, yeah, on okay. Grand Avenue. And, it's, um, and the original concept was that you were walking into an alley. Okay. So if you imagine, like, a, a Dickinson, mm-hmm. Dickens, um, Dickinsonian kind right, of right. place where it's just this weird little, it's not straight, yeah. it's crooked buildings mm-hmm. sticking out, weird fences. Mm-hmm overlooks and wind back windows and stuff. And right. there's an overhang when you come in the bar, the actual bar is under an overhang in Eve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Always packed. Uh, it can be. Yeah. The bar, ten, it's tiny. The bar, the actual mm-hmm. bar is tiny. And then the rest of the space is a restaurant and a bunch of other booths and the right. piano. It's a massive place. You yeah. go looking around. If you're really intrigued with it, wow. people either come in and they hate it. They hate, if you hate dirt, <laughs> Don't go to the alley because it looks like every place, everything yeah. looks dirty um, and just chaotic. Mm-hmm. But if you're fascinated with that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you look around. So there's this black guy kind of looking around and sniffing around. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's chatting with everybody he can. That's the other thing. He's inappropriately chatting. Uh, oh, Latin social skills. Go ahead. He finally says something. And he keeps saying, well, I've been gone a while. 
I'm from this neighborhood, but I've been gone a while. I've been gone over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Specifically saying that, yeah. And after a while, I was like, okay, wait a minute. Um, so let's say you are legitimately just interested and curious about this place. Where have you been for right. 10 years? Right. And in this neighborhood, in this, you know, in this culture, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're going to run into these people. Yeah. And by the end of the evening, he was loving the place. He felt so welcome. He had talked to so many of us mm-hmm. and been invited to just enjoy and participate. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to have to do. Yeah. We're going to have to help these people acclimate to being in normal society again. And we're right. going to have to make space for them and their right. stories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think and to do that, you know, the whole how are these people going to integrate? Well, first of all, they need to be able to feel like they can uh, provide for themselves, right? right. They be able, need to be able to know that they can get a job, make some money, get a roof over their head, right. put food on their table, right? Support yeah. their families, whatever. And, you know, there's still a barrier there. You fill out a job application, and the first thing they want yeah, to right. know is, right, have yeah. you been, ever been arrested? Do you have a criminal record, right? right? Yeah. And that, a felony, right? Yes. That's yeah. going to go against you. Yeah. And so, like, how long are we going to hold people's mistakes right. against them? Yeah. Right? What jobs need yes. to know that information? And then those jobs mm-hmm. should be not make mm-hmm. that a, this just disqualifies you, but a, mm-hmm. okay, now maybe you need to jump to right. like the firefighter thing. These people go out and fight fires for us. Mm-hmm. They become skilled at that right. job set, and then right. they are restricted in California right. and in many states from entering that field. That's crazy. Well, did you hear about, about the that. police, the Sunnyvale police officer who, you know, did a porn, was on a porn site with no. her? Yeah, this oh, was on the news last night that um, a Sunnyvale police officer um, posted some videos, some pornographic videos of her and her partner oh. on a porn site, uh-huh. um, you know, and her colleagues found out about it, and they reshared the video among, among the individuals in the department. Mm-hmm. But she didn't get let go because they said we have no policy right. about our yeah, you know, wrong what employees yeah, right. do and, and resharing this information. Yeah. But the colleagues that did reshare the information got suspended. Good. Well, that, that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What I was going to say regarding uh, folks who are coming out of jail, you know, we have a thing called a drug court, and the drug court is where individuals who are caught with marijuana—I mean, not marijuana, but like cocaine or whatever—instead sure. uh, of going to like real court, they'll go to like a arbitrator right. who will say, hey, "Listen, let's get you into a program." Right. And there have been a lot of folks. There have been some lawmakers who are like, "Hey, that's great because it's reform and people can learn another skill." Right. And then there's those who are like. No, people are abusing that system. They're just scamming the system because they don't want to go to jail, and they'll re, they'll reoffend and all right. that sort of stuff. So when we talk about individuals, it's, it's, I guess it's the mindset. You know, I totally believe that. You know, you have to learn a skill. You know, when right. they go to jail, right. don't just hang out and right. work out or whatever. You know, right. let's put them into work where they can actually build a vocation. The, the and that's what it's done. Um, There's a wonderful restaurant called Oh Shucks. Um, they only employ. Um, uh, um, is it here in San Francisco? No, it's in San Francisco. Okay. Oh. Uh, D'Agostino's. It starts with a D. Oh, okay. Delancey. Yeah, Delancey Street. Yeah, exactly. Delancey. Oh my gosh. And that's over in that South. Do they call it South Beach? Yeah. It looks over the Embarcadero in San Francisco. But they employ. I don't think they're. I think they're on probation or whatever. But they're basically going out of county jail. And it's a fantastic program, and it's a beautiful restaurant. Places and and you know they earn and make money, and they they are they're brought back into society. Right. So.
at a, at a nice level. Yes. Not mm-hmm. just, it's not like going to Goodwill right. and working right. minimum right. wage. Yeah. Okay. No, you're actually, because they, they, um, they regularly have all kinds of little parties and community events oh, and yeah. things. Okay. These people are rubbing elbows with, wow. with the influential folks of San Francisco on a regular basis, and it's an intentional thing mm-hmm. to kind of say to you, hey, mm-hmm. this is your opportunity to re-enter society. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to the bottom. Right. You know, we want to help you. Yeah. yeah. And they're respectful, and they're treated with respect. That's Before amazing. we go in, because we're running. <laughs> <laughs> but any last words on, I guess, Trump? I mean, were you amazed? I mean, how do you feel about oh. Oh. Trump? I know. We've been talking about Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, I remember going to bed on election night thinking it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And waking up the next morning and thinking, what the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> do I need to move back to Canada now? <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Canada? You've been to Canada? That's where I grew up, right? Oh. That's where I came from. So, you know, um, it's been a, it's just been a disappointment, you know, <laughs> every time you put on the television. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it just amazes me that this is one of the few countries, I think, in the world where individuals like Trump can get to that point, mm-hmm. right? And whether the elections were hacked or not or whatever, um, he was able to, you know, light a fire under something right. in a large group of people in this country that, that I just, true. that I just, did, yeah. that I thought was, you know, dead, that I thought right. was out, that yeah, fire was out. The and, majority. And, yeah. yeah. And, and somehow he ignited that and, and was able to, to get himself into, into office. And, mm-hmm. you know, at every, at every turn, he makes a fool of himself. And, um, you know, I'm just waiting for the moment to, where I, I feel like the Democrats are holding out. They've got something on him, and there's going to be an impeachment coming. I don't know when, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I feel like there, there's some inf- there's, somebody's got some information on him, and they're holding out, and that's going to be the, the, the turning point. When mm-hmm. that's going to happen, I don't know, and what that's going to mean for for this country, I don't, I don't know either. But, right. um, you know, it, it, it says something that at every turn, somebody from his um, cabinet's leaving, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And what does that say about this person that uh, that the American people have put into office? And the people that think he is there to help them, I really feel that they're going to eventually wake up and see that, no, you know, the only person he's helped is himself. Really. Yeah, that's exactly you know? right. Yeah. Um, because at every turn, he is making it harder and harder for the middle-class Americans or for those who are, you know, even the lower middle-class Americans to be able to do something with their lives and to be able to be productive and be able to be, um, and feel like they're being successful. You know, he sent out this message that, you know, globalization has taken away the jobs from Americans. But the truth is, without globalization, uh, we're just not going to thrive. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, you look at Oh, it goes back to the beginning of the country. You, we started trying to figure out what we're doing, shipping. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I'm reading a story now, and that's how we got a Navy, mm-hmm. is our ships were being attacked in Tripoli. Right. Yeah, right. Let's go back to the uh, the colonial period, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. no, the, um, that's the, uh, the the new nation period. That's what leads us to 1812. Right, exactly. Um, the British had the Impressment Act, and they were capturing our ships and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Well, and, and we were getting our asses kicked that's right. by, um, what's the, the pirates? pirates? The country. No, um, oh. we're tripling <laughs> You know, in the Mediterranean, we yeah. were getting our um, Algiers. Yeah, um, we were getting our butts kicked there. They were they were hitting our merchant ships, mm-hmm. and Alexander Hamilton, among other people, was like, "We need a navy. We have to have a navy." International trade has been right. a huge thing. Right. You can't right. step you back can. from globalization. You can't. That's I mean, if you look again, you look at a country like Brazil, where their GDP is going to grow like you know over three percent. 
And that, why is that happening, right? Mm -hmm. Why is a country like this where GDP is only going to grow 1% to 2%, you know, in a year? Why? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is because if you cut yourself off from an evolving world, you're right. going to be, you're going to isolate yourself yep. and we're going to head into a deep recession. And all those people that have put their hopes and dreams into Trump mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to suffer. Yeah. Right? Are, are Speaking of already suffering. Look at the Dow. That yeah. was the worst it's been in 10 years. No, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. I mean, isolating myself, even Canada. I mean, when he, you know, got into this turf war with was Trudeau, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, if you if you burn your bridges and if you make enemies, it's not going to help you. And that's what right. I feel like his entire presidency has been about. And I feel sorry for who's going to have to step in after him and, yeah. and, and clean that up. Yeah, I hear you. So. Well, but we might end up with President Pelosi. So. Well, <laughs> or President Kamala Harris. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so mm -hmm. Pence today is yeah. meeting with Senate leaders. They're having discussions. Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, they're mm -hmm. shut down. they got to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the idea is that, you know, part of what a lot of people seem to be watching is, is he just biding his time because he's the next one, right? But... If the Mueller stuff is really going to mm -hmm. affect Trump, if it is as big as it seems to be, yeah. that's going to pick up that whole campaign team, and that includes Pence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Pence and Ryan are in danger of that, and with them gone, number three in that list is Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. If, if the so we, may, so we may end up with Nancy Pelosi before 2020. Yeah, as as acting president in a in a uh, Gerald Ford kind of way. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I think the Twenty Fifth Amendment. And it was funny. Somebody didn't remember um, that Nixon had had two. I was like, yeah, there's that's right, Agnew. Agnew. That's right. And he stepped down, mm -hmm. and uh, what's his name came in um, Rockefeller. Yeah, no, Rockefeller he stepped down. Stepped down. <laughs> I could talk about all this, but man, we are running really. We're having so much fun. Priya mm -hmm. um, Gaidin, right? Yes. Yes. So, origin story. I mean, you've been to Brazil, uh, Canada. I know you you lived some in Washington, yes. well, at least Silver Spring, Maryland. Yes. And oh, wow. Yeah. You have a Middle Eastern name, so th there's something about that as well. Well, yeah, the origins of my name is actually from India. So my ancestry is Indian from India. My uh -huh. great-grandparents great were from India, and mm -hmm. they went with the British to Guyana. So, you oh, know, okay. of course, um, you know, after emancipation and all the slaves mm -hmm. uh, left um, most of the... Um, Caribbean nations or countries, um, the British, the, the, the Dutch first colonized um, what is what was formerly known as British Guyana, right? right. So they had the slaves right. there that were, were three. Well, there's still three. There's 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 Guyana, there's French Guyana, and Suriname. Yeah. So the the Dutch left um, what was then British Guyana, um, and when they left, there was nobody to work in the plantations and so forth. So the British came in, colonized, and they needed individuals to work those plantations and stuff. So they went to India, China, Portugal, all over the world, oh, wow. and they offered these people, you know, say, hey, come and, right. you know, work for 25 years, 25 cents an hour, and after you're done your contract, you can go home. And so mm -hmm. that's how my great-grandparents ended up to Guyana. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the point came where the boats came back to take them back to India, but... You know, they had left their homes, they had left their families, mm -hmm. and um, they managed to integrate and create new lives in these countries and decided they weren't going to go back. So my great-grandparents stayed, my grandparents were born there, my parents were born there, and I was born there. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then we left, and um, there was a lot of um, political turmoil in the 60s in Guyana um, because uh, there was a, um, you know, the, the largest... Um, 
populations in, in Guyana are the Indians that came from India uh-huh. and, and the blacks that were left there after slave, slavery. And so there was a lot of um, a lot of racism among those groups, mm-hmm. um, a lot of political tension. And at that time, there was an Indian government forming trying to come into power and a black government trying to come into power. Mm-hmm. And um, so my parents had a business in an open market there that got burnt during the political riots mm. and stuff. And so um, my mom's brother was in Canada studying at the University of Toronto, and, and she said to my father, you know, we've got to make a new life. They have me, and they, they're, they're like, you know, they lost their livelihood. So she said, you know, let's try to go to Canada. Yeah. So How many siblings do you have? I have one younger sister. She was born in Canada. Got it. But my father, um, so he went illegally to, to Canada, mm-hmm. stayed with my mom's brother, um, eventually learned to trade, became an auto body repairman, got his visa, and then a year and a half later sponsored my mom and I over to Canada. And that's how we went to Canada. Um, and then my sister was born there. Mm. Um, and so we grew up in Canada. And then um, after I finished my, my um, formal education, I actually got a job at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore as a nurse. And so oh, wow. ended up going to, again, going to Baltimore. I lived in the Baltimore, D.C. area for about mm-hmm. 10 years and got into um, – clinical research and was working for a small company that was a government contractor mm-hmm. and they were doing a lot of HIV studies in Brazil and so they sent me to Brazil and that's how I ended up going to Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where your theater career began? Or? Well, my theater co- career, career ba- began in Maryland actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my, first, oh. my first show was a small community community theater production at the Cedar Lane Theater oh. <laughs> where I played uh, Terpsichore, the, you know, the Greek musical News, and um, that was my first introduction, and then I did what some... What was the um, show? Oh, what was the name of the show? Gosh, I forget. Because that's funny. You don't, yeah. you don't see much reference <laughs> to who the muses are. Right, yeah. It was I don't a, think I can name three. It was the... It, that was the only muse that... No, they had three of the muses in there, and I can't remember the other two, Calliope. but it was... Calliope, I think, was one of them, yeah. See? And, um, I'm telling you, I don't think... Oh, it was, it, was a, it was a take on the... Um, you know, they, they were starting to defund the arts in, in Maryland at that time, and right. so it was a little bit of a take on that, and these muses were trying to come in and convince the guy who had mm. to approve these um, oh, these proposals yeah, sure. um, that, you know, that mm. they needed to do that. So that was my first my first play, and then um, I got introduced to the West Wing, used to come out there and do their, their mm-hmm. productions in the um, D.C. area, so I did some extra work for them there. Oh. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then did some more community theater, got involved in improv out there, and did mm-hmm. in dinner theater improv. I was part of a group there, and then went to Brazil, and, 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 it, and I um, met this director there who was doing these um, these uh, films and stuff for the English Language School and started working with them and did films and stuff for them there and mm-hmm. um, became sort of well-known because they had all these commercials on TV to advertise the product, and right. so they used a lot of the scenes that I was in, so my friends were always calling me like, we're just on TV. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you're mentioning it's on YouTube, so we should yeah, yeah. And there's that. a scene on, on YouTube, yeah. So, um, so it was great. I got to do a lot of that stuff out there, and yeah. then, um, so it sounds like you had the theater bug or the acting bug, you know, even before you, because your formal education had nothing to do with theater. Right, right. right. So I took some theater classes when I was living in Maryland through the Roundhouse Theater mm-hmm. over there, and took theater classes. But it was always a passion of mine since I was in high school. Um, you know, drama was probably my best my best course in school. And oh, so you did do it Yeah, in high so I did do it in high school and always wanted to, to um, you know, get more involved with it, but sort of segued into <laughs> the sciences and became a nurse. And uh, once I finished my nursing education, you know, I said, I'm, I'm just going to throw my hat into this again and see if I can make a, a run for it, make a go for it. And, and mm. it, um, it did sort of take off, so I was doing well. And uh, 
it's funny how life is because just as I was getting ready to move to Brazil, I was working with this uh, improv group in in Maryland and um, one a, a director there, um, Ed Burns, well-known director in Maryland who's since passed away. He wanted me to star in his uh, Lion in the Winter uh-huh. production. And then I got the offer to move to Brazil at the same time and it was like, you know, I was just sort of making a name for myself in Maryland when the opportunity to move to Brazil came and mm-hmm. chose that route. And so, you know, like yeah. it's a series of opportunities. <laughs> so what brought you to the Bay? So I was in Brazil with my son and um, the economy was starting to tank there. Uh-huh. And so um, I was unemployed at the time. <laughs> I uh-huh. thought, well, you know, I don't know, I could stay here and see if things change or maybe I can try to leverage my experience back in North America. So I decided we'd, we'd go back to North America. And first mm-hmm. I went back to Canada and we stayed with my family for a little while sort of to see if I could get a footing in there was auditioning and like you said before it was chaotic was going auditions all over the place all the time Mm -hmm. you know never knowing what something was going to work out or I did um, I did one um, the opening scene they had a series there that they were doing um, about um, it was called Hello Goodbye about people coming arriving and leaving at the airport Mm -hmm. so I did their opening Mm -hmm. montage for that um, Mm -hmm. and then um but I wasn't getting much work. I was teaching part-time and uh, said, okay, well, I can't really survive on this. So <laughs> um, just started said, well, if I'm going to move back to the United States, I've got to go somewhere where it's warm because it's not going to work. I did the winters for a long time. Right. not going to oh, work. God, yeah. So just um, started applying. I was, hope- I was applying in L.A. first because I thought, you know, I could leverage the acting stuff there, but really wasn't getting much hits. And then I applied here in San Francisco and got like four job offers within a month. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, you know, I said, we're going to San Francisco. Yeah. Well, the nursing industry is, is very, very right. healthcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Kaiser's here. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And so, um, because I do research, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in the pharmaceutical sector right. here. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so I, that's how we ended up here. And then um, about a year ago, I said, you know, I need to see if I can find some outlet for my creativity and just started Googling and found Plethos on the, on the Internet. And mm-hmm. that's how yeah. I started working up with them. Yes, yeah, so uh, did you, what, what shows were you with Plethos prior to our show? Um, that, that was the first one. Yeah, I wanted to do In the Heights, but then when I saw it's a musical, I don't really have a strong musical background. I don't say. Okay. <laughs> I could probably harmonize, you know, you could put me in the background and I can do some harmonizing, but I'm not a great singer, so it's like, okay. oh, darn, I can't do that. Yeah. And then I saw the audition for a four in Paris and I thought, well, I, c- I could do this. And I thought, oh, I'll probably get the um, the wife role or <laughs> the cafe lady role. I thought, oh, okay, maybe, they'll, maybe I can apply. I could. That's what I went in the audition thinking that mm-hmm. that's what I was going to be auditioning for. Well, Velvet was <laughs> kind of, Velvet was very much a blank slate. Mm-hmm. <coughs> And so that was, it was wonderful in the process. Yeah. It really was collaborative. It was like, oh, where are you going with this? Oh, what will work yeah, this? Yeah. Oh, how can we, right. you know, give some nuance to this character? I mean, that right. to me was yeah. was the huge job. It, it's, I've learned it over years mm-hmm. as an actor even. You get some small role in your something, and you're like, oh, I just have a small <laughs> role. I mean, I got called back for Midsummer, oh. and, and I went home. Like, I felt good about my audition, but I didn't, you don't know what they're looking for. Right. You can't worry about it. And then I get this email saying, yeah, we'd like you to come to callbacks. And it said, I guess it said Quince. I don't think it said Peter Quince. I think it just said Quince. And I got in bed with Mara that night, and I said, yeah, I have to figure out how to get to this callback tomorrow. I don't know what they're doing. I'm equity. 
they can't give me some little role and this is, you know, if you know Midsummer, it's uh, what they call the rude mechanicals. These working men who are going to put on a show for Theseus's nuptial day. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter Quince is the boss of them. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's organizing it. And in the play, what he he acts as a foil to Bottom. Everybody right. knows Bottom. Bottom's the big comic role right. in the show. Um, so I get this thing saying, come back to callbacks. And I'm like, yeah, it's one of the rude mechanicals. I mean, I don't even know why they would waste a contract on that. Unless it was Peter Quince. And I went, wait a minute. And I looked at me and yeah. I'm like, Quince. Oh, they're calling me back for Peter Quince. That means I will have to be... And it's, you know, like uh, right now, this season, we're getting ready to have a new uh, Laurel and Hardy movie come mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. about who they were and how they worked together. Right. Um, and, you know, very much a behind-the-scenes sort of thing. Yeah. It's that kind of thing where there's one, Peter Quince is the guy who's trying to make things happen, and Bottom is the guy who keeps frustrating mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. And Bottom's comedy comes out of having that straight man. Right, right. I'm like, oh, my God. I would love to play a straight man. That would be fantastic. <laughs> But yeah, I didn't no. have that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Velvet is similarly that kind of character where for in order for us to understand who these guys are and what's going on with them, we need to understand why this would be right. appealing, right. where it resonates with who Chester is. Right. That That is so important. Right. And that means that she has to have a backstory that is meaningful to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. So we have to kind of discover right. where the script has given us room exactly. to flesh this out. Yeah. So I was totally shocked when when you wanted me to read for, for Velvet at the audition because I was like, I, I came in there with a totally different idea in my head. I think like mm-hmm. what you were saying before because you never know what they're looking for. Right. You know? And then I went home and I said, why do you want me to play this 20-year-old woman? I'm like, <laughs> I've got to rethink the whole thing. Um, but it, it was great. And, you know, it was just really um, – Interesting when I talked to the audience afterwards, and they were like, "We just loved you. We were so villainous, and we loved how you were so villainous." And I was like, "Well, okay, that's great. I'm not sure that's what they want." It is, you know, from a, in the same way we had a huge conversation about whether mm-hmm. or not she was a prostitute, right? And I'm like. No, I don't think she, like, gets up in the morning and puts no. on her prostitute clothes and goes out and does that. I do think she's somebody who doesn't have a regular job. Mm-hmm. And so the way her day develops is really what opportunities are there. So yeah. when somebody who looks like he got some money and you can engage with him, because mm-hmm. that's the other thing, I don't think she's faking it. I think she's having truly having a good time oh, yeah. and enjoying the relationship as it's developing. Right. I think from the moment where she bumps into him on the street through her arrest, mm-hmm. I think there's an arc of, wait a minute, this would actually work. Not just work for me, which would make her a villain, mm-hmm. but work for us right. because you recognize me. And I, she says it time and time again. Yeah. You understand people like us. Exactly. We are this. That's who we are. And I think that's absolutely true. I mm-hmm. think Chester is that guy. Yeah. So I think, I think it's important for the audience to see right. that Chester relates to this right and as much as sweet little innocent is appealing to him the way any of us if you walk down the street in the spring and you see flowers blossoming yeah. you can't help but go oh right. isn't right. that cute yeah. but here's a plant that actually has some roots <laughs> and right. has something going on yeah right and you know the blossom is just the top of that right. amazing plant yeah. i think that's who yeah. that is. yeah i was going to say so I, after the show i had dinner with Richard Harder, who runs off Broadway West, okay. and we and he just he said, "Listen, we got to talk about the play, and you know maybe we want to produce or whatever." And the first thing out of his mouth, "My God, I love Phil. <laughs> 
I loved it. She was just amazing. I couldn't take my eyes off her. I was like, okay, did you tell Barbara that? <laughs> I was right, joking with right, right. But that's a compliment for you. Thank you. Thank and, you. and it's interesting because you're absolutely right. Chester Hines, you know, when we – so when we did Before the Dream, right. Before the Dream was basically – it was a play created by Richard Talavera. He's pacing these biographies together to create a play mm-hmm. right. only about Richard Wright. Focused on Richard Wright, yeah. And I said, you know, there's some meat on the bone. I want to talk about, right. you know, Chester. And although, I mean, Chester's written some biographies, and he's written some, you know, like these, I call them the black Mickey Spillane. Right, yeah. You know, he writes black these things. Yeah. And I said, you know, I can write. Because I'm interested in the historical stuff, and I'm interested in Richard Wright. Right. But audience members may not, so I need to give something for them. Right. right. And I wanted to create this sort of, um, what do you call it, film noir sort sure. of thing. As yeah, if yeah, yeah. just were living a life as if you were writing it. Right. And what better way than to have this, you know, saint center thing going yeah, on. And Velvet, you know, because we've had conversations, and it's, I'm sure it's interesting that you're working with not only the director, but also the writer. And I tried to – we would have conversations, you and I, Norman, right. in the car. It's like, listen, home, yeah. if you need me to shut up, <laughs> then I'll shut up. <laughs> you know, if you don't want me to, you know. But basically it was all about what is Velvet's past? What is Velvet's past? And I purposely made it sort of ambiguous. There are things mm-hmm. you didn't know, but there's right. a lot that you don't know because right. Right. I sort of wanted the actress to create Velvet all right. by herself. Right. Right. Now, sometimes that can be a hard thing because you're like, hey – I have some questions, and I'm right. like, well, no, you provide the answer. Right. Is that difficult or hard? I mean, is it difficult? I think it, it, it can be challenging. You know, I think any role you take on has its has its challenges. Um, it's always it's always more challenging when there isn't something for you to go to, and you have to create it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's also fun, you know, and um, when you have a good scene partner to work with, you can kind of come up with that story. Mm-hmm. And um, I think th- I think the four men in Paris. There was a lot of room to really develop um, Velvet because there wasn't a whole lot there. And, and you know, just looking at the movement of the play and the movement of the scenes, it was kind. It helped to really kind of think. Okay, well, this is her backstory mm-hmm. you know, based on. I would say the there are shadows there. Mm-hmm. What the play gives you are the shadows of who she is. Yeah. We have to make that living, breathing. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I, that, that for me, it was great. It was a lot of fun to be able to kind of create this person out of nothing, so to speak, yeah. and, uh, you know, breathe life into a character that didn't exist, but at the same time could um, give the audience a sense of, you know, what it was like to be in Paris at that time. Exactly. Or then, right? You really created the, the, the Meeting these different characters in Paris, because I think, um, I think it's very possible that Chester could have had an experience like that Absolutely. with a person like Velvet. I'm, I'm sure he in did. In the 60s yeah. in, the Par- in Paris, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, um, it's even what's going on now with the mm-hmm. protests and things that are happening. When you read a good story about what's happening, it gets complex. Yeah. Because these are people who are, like, literally going, wait a minute, I make this much money, and I pay right. this much in gas, and right. this gas tax is going to kill me. It's going to make it impossible for me to live, one. And two, at the same time, you're giving tax breaks to the rich. Yeah. Suddenly these people come alive. Right. Yeah. (laughs) One cool thing about how the women, you, Helena, and um, uh, Laura, Laura. Oh, Laura. Also, Kim, but really just the three of you, you really created the environment. Yeah, I know. You created the environment. And credit to you because the cafe lady was not in the script at all. Yeah. But you guys created the environment of Paris. Yeah. We only, I mean, we had a minimal set. Right, 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 yeah. So you guys really, I mean, and also the, was it difficult to French accent? 
Um, it was it was a little bit challenging. I think um, I have a good tendency towards languages, um, but yeah, I did have to practice practice a lot. Um, I watched a lot of YouTube videos, um, and it you know, and I would just be like. Uh, you know, reversing the lines in my car on the way to work and on the way home just to kind of get the accent down. And then, of course, you know, when you work with a character for, for a while, it sort of gets ingrained, and there's that transition period where you have to get back to being you. <laughs> so right. even at the end of the play, you know, I was still finding myself talking to my friends a little bit with a French accent, and they were like, why are you talking like that? You know, and I had to switch back, which is not yeah. always easy. I have one quick question. I know we're running late. Because I've had Cecilia Palmtag and a couple of other ladies uh, even Carolyn Doyle talking about balancing being an actress and being a single mother. Mm-hmm. And Carolyn Doyle, you know, she has a um, a son who is uh, developmentally disabled, mm-hmm. and that's tough, and mm-hmm. not having a husband to sort of help. And Cecilia Palmtag talked about that. You know, she had um, her husband sort of split, I think, during the production, and she had a young mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. How difficult is that? I mean, that's something because for, I guess, We've had women on, and I think it's an important thing. It's something that us men, we don't think about at all. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I have to say thank you to both you and Norman for, for being so generous with allowing my son to come to set and, and, and uh, be there on the times that I wasn't able to get a sitter for him. And so I really appreciate that um, because it is, it is I tough. I think more companies are doing it, and they need to. Yeah, yeah they need to. Otherwise, yeah. we're losing a right. huge slice of yeah. talent. Um, and there was an article in the New York Times about that. Um, a, um, a group of women are um, crowdfunding to create this sort of um, this sort of uh, daycare setting where they can take their kids to work, and there's daycare for them, and there's somebody to, to help watch the kids while they're working because mm-hmm. it is challenging. And, and one of the things I thought about when um, when I got the, the role for Velvet is like, okay, how am I going to work this? And it was a, it was a bit stressful, but I. I really wanted my son to be able to see me as a more of a three-dimensional person, not mm-hmm. just his mom, not just somebody who goes to work and puts food on the table, but that, you know, I'm a person who has my own interests and has my own desires and things like that, because I think it will be healthy for him in his, in his own development. And um, so, you know, I just said, we're going to make this work, whatever mm-hmm. it takes. And, um, you know, hopefully with, if I get other opportunities, it will, it will be the same that they'll be able to, to work with me. But, um, it is a challenge, and hopefully, I think in the Bay Area, what's nice is that the, it, there is an openness about understanding that, you know, every family is unique and different, and we all have different needs, and they work with you, and, right. and, and I think that's that's quite nice, and, and, it, and maybe it's a, it's a sign of our evolving times, um, but uh, yeah, I, I can only hope that the people that I'll work with in this industry will be, you know, understanding and receptive to that. Yeah, and it also shows how important theater or art is for you, because yeah. just working and then just coming home, yeah. I'm finding, you know, when we have people talk about what theater means to them, the, the overall arc that I get is that people need to express themselves. Right. Like I've got something yeah. in me, right. and I can't. I've got to let it out. Right, right. And I see that with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's been a passion of mine forever. And um, you know, like I told told Corinne, I said, you know, before I had my son, I had a certain identity, and then I had my son, and then I had a different identity. Right. And uh, you know, now I'm trying to blend those together. You sure. Know, because you you are you know. You're not just one person. You're not just a mom. You're not just a, you know, nine to five or a year. Right. right. I, I think it's important that we recognize people, mm-hmm. and we're all coming together to create this other thing. That is on top of the fact that we're people. Right. right. And you know, one of the things I liked about it was we would work. There'd be nights when we had kids there, yeah. and we're working some of the more hard or salacious scenes. 
And I'm like, okay, I don't need this child to understand or appreciate this. What we can, what we do need to do, the work we need to do. But what we can focus on is what is the structural mm-hmm. stuff that needs to be there. Mm-hmm. So even with the playground that I just did, um, there was a, um, there's a, a lesbian couple. And there's a kiss mm. in the script. You mm. have to do it. Mm. So what I was worried about is I have one rehearsal with these people, and then we're putting it up in front of an audience, right. and they have scripts in hand. All mm-hmm. of this makes it tricky, especially for more intimate stuff. When you want to get into a hug and you both have scripts, either your scripts are in front of your faces and nobody sees anything, you share a script, or you figure out some other staging, and suddenly you start to realize what is necessary right. in this moment. Right. If I see the desire from the two people to be together or one person wanting to hug the other one, that is more important than you getting your arm around somebody's waist. Mm-hmm. And what it, what I love about it is it just keeps having the kids in the room reminds me, don't get lost in the details of this moment. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're rooting it in something that is real and solid. And then the actors, because the actresses at one point were running through and it really, I'm just trying to figure out staging. Mm-hmm. Do we do the kiss? I'm like, well, you have to do the kiss. But based on the way it is on stage and based on the way it is, we've at that point run through it a couple of times. Based on what you just did, where you were downstage, your head was downstage, the other one's head is upstage, the audience isn't really going to see the kiss. Mm -hmm. So I don't care if you just put your cheek to cheek and sit there for a moment. One of them's in a hat with hair (laughs) Like, you're downstage. You right. basically are completely obscuring that moment. Mm-hmm. As long as you two are committed to what is the essence of that moment, mm-hmm. that's what's important. And you get away from, I mean, because the other thing was for your scenes, I wanted to make sure, those two bedroom scenes, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that we gave the audience the titillation that roots this in why is this important right. to these characters. Right. But I don't want to just get into, we got a naked woman wanting yeah. to around on yeah. stage. Yeah. And so I loved, and I've talked to people about this a number of times, I loved that in the James Baldwin scene, I kept him in his underwear the whole right, time. Right, In your scene, I said, can you do it without your pants on? Mm-hmm. Because I figured if Chester's walking around in that state, seeing a man with no pants on resonates for us in a different way yeah. than seeing a woman half dressed right, does. And right, I'm like, yeah. We don't need to worry about that. Right. And I need you, the actor, to be comfortable with what you're doing. So mm-hmm. you made choices, and I was like, if you're comfortable with that choice, that choice will work for what we're doing. Yeah. I'm not asking for more than that. And that's all right. the ways my go-to place is I want to keep the actors safe and mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that we're doing what is necessary to tell the story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one quick thing. Um, because we're two men. You know, we were talking about this. Um, I forget wh- what it was. Um, another, a couple of podcasts ago. We're a bunch of men surrounded by either you or Helena, yep. or whatever. It was like, well, you know, we don't think about what you mm-hmm. must feel. Mm-hmm. Did we make it? You're putting us on the spot. You can tell us no. <laughs> yeah. Did we make you feel comfortable? In oh, absolutely. No, I was, I was, I was very comfortable. I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel uncomfortable at all in, in, in the production. I think, um, you know, I think we, we we showed just enough skin to, to get That's the right. audience it's to realize that okay, yeah. they're you know these two went home and had a night together. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think we took anything too far. Um, you know, I've always been fairly comfortable with uh, you know being on stage and doing things where sometimes may, I may not have clothes on or not, but um, I don't really um, allow that to affect me in in the work. So um, no, I would say that it, it was it was a very uh, I, w- I felt very comfortable in the scenes that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That's what I made sure, Corinne. Was, mm-hmm. I was like, I need another woman in the room. Please make sure that you're here on those <laughs> nights. She was yeah. at every rehearsal. Right, right. But those nights yeah. I needed her. Um, and I think at the last scene, there there was supposed to be a kiss between Velvet and, and Chester, but it oh, seemed to it, it seemed to play yeah, better. Yeah, where with the what we structured, with what we came mm-hmm. up with, it mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah, work. yeah, yeah. It seemed to feel better where it was sort of a possibility, and right. that's how we yeah. kind of played well, it. Like on I stage. said before, that desire, mm-hmm. as long as the energy of the character wanting it. Right. I, I, somebody said this to me once, and I realize now how true it is. In a relationship, a successful relationship, you just have to have one person who is committed mm-hmm. to that happening. Mm-hmm. A lot of successful relationships work that way. Right. They're not balanced. They're right. not equal. But we still feel the intensity mm-hmm. that is what's holding that relationship right. together. Right. That's yeah. what's important. Yeah. You know, and in that last scene, it was more about he was sort of outing her. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it didn't feel like she'd want to give him a kiss because right. he's, he's outing yeah. her, you know? So. And, and I should say, as a writer... I, I, we don't, I'll write it without even knowing who the cast is right. and how it's going to be staged right. or whatever. And so many things changes during the rehearsal process. So yeah, that's yeah. why stage directions and all those things go straight out the door. Mm-hmm. Once the well, show, that's, why, so. and that's why I teach Shakespeare and now talk about Hamlet. I'm like, your Hamlet is going to be different than your Hamlet. is going to be different than my Hamlet. Right. It needs to be because you're the one embodying it. You're mm-hmm. going to find different things. Mm-hmm. And your struggle, all of our struggles is still... To stay true to what is there, what is the essence of this character, yeah. but you're going to find different colors than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you know the reality of it. And as long as it stays, as long as we're capturing something of that essence, right? That's yep. the job. Yeah, yeah. And it totally worked because you know there was yeah. so much. I mean, even with what Angelo brought in, like uh, the uh, member, instead of anger, it was sadness. It's like right. you know. Her, yeah. You know, yeah. she's dead, and I brought you in through me, and right. the, the, the whole texture. I mean, both of all of you guys brought so much stuff in right. that you know we didn't even think about. Right, so it was wonderful. Well, that's, that's okay. Yeah, shoutouts, birthdays. Um, today is Judith Offer's birthday. She's a playwright here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also a poet, and she's been writing some amazing stuff in the era of Trump, which mm. has been really fun. And she's having a party, and I feel bad now because I realize I have to go home and see what's happening with that stuff, and then I have another party to go mm-hmm. to this evening, so I don't know that I'm going to get to celebrate her birthday with her, but mm-hmm. today is her birthday. And Kimberly Dooley, so it's so funny. These are folks, I won't give ages out, but Judith is an older person. Kimberly is a younger person. <laughs> Kimberly Dooley is the wife of Patrick Dooley, shotgun players, mm-hmm. and, uh, and has been, I'm not sure if she's still running it, but she was... At one point, very involved with the Berkeley Playhouse mm-hmm. and getting that going. So uh, those birthdays are today. Um, Stephen Anthony Jones, we talked about, I think, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, his birthday is coming up. Uh, he was, um, he's been an actor in the Bay Area for a long time, director. And he was running the Lorraine, he was the artistic director of Lorraine Hansberry Theater. He mm-hmm. just retired from that last year. Uh, his birthday is coming up tomorrow. Uh, Ron Mesa is an actor. I went to singer. Uh, and comic genius um, um, that I went to college with. His birthday is coming up Monday. Uh, Damien Brown is 50 years old. And will be playing Oberon in Midsummer Night's Dream with Marin Shakespeare this summer. Wow. So he was at my callback. I was like, dude, <laughs> I just so hope I get to work with him. That would be exciting. Um, Aquanetta Summers, who That's was right. in Richard Tellers. Um, That's right, Before the Dream. Yeah. Um, amazing, wonderful actress. Uh, Laura Nichols is a Canadian actress. Oh, that I know. Uh, African-Canadian African actress. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and she's the one who schooled me on that concept. It yep. took me the longest time. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, it's a very different history. It totally is. Those people. Yeah. Uh, and Eric Hayashi, who I met as the, um, he was the artistic director of the Asian American Theater Company when I was first starting to act and, um, and got them into a beautiful facility. At one point, they actually had three stages running, developing new works, wow. um, reinterpreting the classics. It actually helped give me a grounding in what became the African American Shakespeare Company. I brought that energy and intelligence to that. How can we take these classical stories and show them, show our story through these characters and these stories. Mm-hmm. He was the one who helped me to, to understand that. So cool. those are the birthdays I had. So you took some of mine. Uh, also, I always do. <laughs> the day before Christmas, um, there's a young actress. I've never worked with her, but I've seen her on Facebook. Rachel Campbell, I believe she's a listener for the show. Her birthday is uh, the 24th. Also, mm-hmm. Adam Simpson, who... Um, He's an actor. He's been on Off-Broadway West several shows, and also he was a guest on The Yay. That would be episode 19. Uh, you weren't here, but uh, he uh, his birthday is the 24th. Canadian. As a matter of fact, he, I had him on uh, I'm an American, too, and he talked about being a Canadian-American and dealing with immigration issues mm-hmm. as a Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damon Brown, you mentioned him. Uh, our customer, Daisy Nesky, her birthday oh, is no. the day after Christmas. Wow. So, and along with Aquinas Summers. Which has got to suck, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I finally have friends whose birthdays are Christmas. And oh. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, my cousin's Because I had one, and she was in like, her. There's my birthday gift now. I'm, yes. Where's my Christmas gift? Yes. Right, right, right. She, she was in her 40s <laughs> yeah. before she actually had a birthday party. Wow. Um, I was like, okay. Yeah. And also, um, Amanda Clemens, I shared the stage with her in 110 in the Shade. Her birthday is on Friday, the 28th. Along with Sharon Shaw, Sharon Shaw acted in um, Sir Raphael, ah, which just passed. Uh-huh. So uh, I didn't get a chance to see the show, but that's a show. It was we, quick. That show came in quick. Yeah, fantastic show about um, sexual harassment, I think, uh, and really dealing with those issues. And that's that's an interesting thing about the age of Trump. These artists are writing stories which are about the times mm-hmm. which are happening. I think we're going to David Stein's party, and he wrote a piece. Um, uh, appointment at Sonora. Well, the party was last night. Ooh, I missed it. David, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I, I sent him a message because I was like, oh my God, um, Mara, Mara was sick. Yeah. Yesterday, just sick. In fact, she's like, I'm feeling better. I'm like, I don't want you to ever tell me you're feeling better anymore because you say you're feeling better and the next thing I know you're running to the bathroom. Oh. Why don't we wait until yeah. you feel like you can do something and just say that? Yeah. Hey, you so I had to send him a message because, yeah, I was planning on going to the party. I was like, oh. David, I'm, I'm so sorry. I I've been canceling out on parties. And it shows. Uh, well, I'm stealing yours again in time for Hawking. That's <laughs> it's cool. But you, you, you have all the details on it, so I'll let you... Yeah, a time for Hawking, um, our good friend Alan Coyne, who is episode 29 of the year, he is in it. He's actually Stephen Hawking, and I picture him as Hawking. <laughs> He's a fantastic guy. Well, He's that's what I'm not understanding. So is Hawking at that point in a wheelchair? I think it's... I, I, I don't or know the story, but I'm sure it's Stephen Hawking, so... Yeah, I'm sure it's an... I'm sure he's doing the beginning stages before okay. he and so then he can actually speak. Right, right. <laughs> like that, that would be a slow it'll, show. It'll be a slow show. I don't agree with you. Shame on us. <laughs> and also, Adrian Dean is playing uh, Jane Wilde, who I think is the significant <clears throat> other of Hawking. That's so, a time for Hawking. Yeah. That's the Internet Theater, December the twentieth at the Berkeley City Club. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
Um, and it ends January the 13th. Ah. The People's History of Next Theater First is doing that. It opened December the 6th, and it ends tonight. So ah. if you want to see that theater first. And A History of World War II, that's John Fisher. That's a one-man show. Mm-hmm. It is, it's been extended to February the 2nd. That's at the Marsh Theater. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have. I, I think that's all I yeah. have. I, um, yeah, I already mentioned I'm going to be doing the reading uh, January 6th. And that's just an in-house. It's really just yeah. for these folks to figure oh, out Oh, we should push the, uh, the New Year's. Uh, the, the, yes, the don't forget oh, about our show. Yeah. Please come and see our show, the Plathos New Year's Eve talent uh, contest. It's going to be a great, uh, great evening. We've got a great lineup of uh, talented uh, Actors, comedians, singers, um, and it's going to be in Hayward. So if you're local and you're looking for something fun to do on New Year's Eve, please mm-hmm. come and see our show. Yeah, plethos.org. You can check that out. We'll have yep. a link to it. And that'll be, of course, Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, yep. Did you have a good time for you? I did. This was a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much. And I uh, you know, want a candidate for uh, yeah. American, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I said to myself, well, you know, you may be busy with Jaden, but, you know, I'm glad you took time. No, it worked out perfectly because my parents are here from Toronto, so oh, uh, they're spending lots of time with him. Are they so, enjoying yeah, themselves? They are, and uh, he's giving them a good run for their money. So, <laughs> that, Hey, there you go. Yeah. I mean, when I think about when I was four years old, I'm sure I drove my mom absolutely crazy, but, you know, yeah. I because <laughs> <laughs> and only because an only child. Every time Jayden would come in for rehearsals, mm-hmm. I would think to myself, "This is how. This is what I was." That's right. That's right. how much yeah. I, you know, love. Yeah, mom. it's always a, it's always a struggle for attention and that fine balance between you know giving them all your attention and trying to find time for yourself. But, yeah, yeah. Right. you're doing a great job as a mom. <laughs> Thank I just you. Want to say that. Thank you. <laughs> all right, here is my spiel. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. Um, you can also, any app that you use to listen to podcasts, just look for the and you'll find us. If you look, if you listen to podcasts on a desktop or a laptop, you can just go on iTunes and click on and find the A. Just click on iTunes, go on store, use the search engine on the upper right-hand side. You can search for the A, you'll find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and search for the A. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. You can find me on Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. Priya, do you have a uh, Twitter I don't have a, I don't have a Twitter handle, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm first, my first name, my full name. So. Right on. <laughs> and we'll put a link in on that. And, you know, and for any uh, actors, and I'm sorry, for any directors and production, sh- um, whatever, if you're looking for a great actress, and Priya oh, and so just fantastic. <laughs> One last plug. Foreman in Paris is published, and you can buy the book, the play, on Amazon.com. Hey, hey. So that is a fantastic thing, and um, I just want to, you know, thank you to Priya and all of, all of the folks who did Foreman in Paris. A year ago, I, w- I could never have conceived Ooh, of all this. all the names of the characters? Yes. Wow. Yes. So you guys are immortalized yes. in pictures and in, you know, whatever. So long after you're gone, someone will pick up a thing in the library and say, oh, there you go. And we've got to find a better sign off. <laughs>